Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Christian Fellowship. We are a family on a journey to become more like Christ, sharing His kingdom by expressing His love. We hope that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. We've been on a, the same theme for a good few weeks now, talking about making room for God. And today I want to round out the series. I want to bring it to a close. And the way that I want to bring it to a close is literally by turning it on its head. And you may think, well, that's a little bit unfair. You've set a theme and everyone's followed diligently on the theme and now you want to turn the whole thing upside down. Well, I think once I get to the end of it, you'll understand why and what I really mean by that. As much as it ought to be our desire to make room for God, and this is what we've been discussing for a few weeks now, it becomes so much more relational this, 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 this act or this desire to make room for God becomes so much more relational and experiential when we realize that God, in fact, has always and continues to make room for us. We've been talking about making room for God. It's good. But the realization is that from the very beginning, God created the universe, and within it He set earth, and within that He set a garden. And within that, he set you and me. From the very beginning, God, in his love, made room for you and I. You and I wouldn't be here if God didn't make room for us. He created a specific place. Why? Because there was room in his heart, and he wanted it filled. And once here, God's desire was that we would inhabit the land, that we would have dominion, not just in the land, but over the whole earth. And we all know what happened in the fall, that authority and that dominion was given away. It was given to somebody else, to the enemy. And so we understand the story that now we are inhabitants in a land ruled by somebody else. And so God begins to make covenant, and he says to Abraham, I'm going to give you a land. What's he going to do? I'm going to make room for you. But now, you're going to make room with me. And you will drive out the Canaanites and the Jebusites and the Perizzites and the parasites and whoever they are. And God promised them a land. He would make room for them. And then we also, I mean, we can follow the whole narrative right through until we get to Jesus. And Jesus, speaking to you and I, speaking to his disciples, speaking to the people, said, I will go and make a place for you. I'm going to make room for you. In my father's house, there are many mansions. One of them's got your name on it. And I think back to what Stephen shared with us a few weeks ago. I'm going to steal his imagery here. I didn't see any copyright on it, and so it's out in the public domain. I'll give credit to the, uh, to the designer. Could you put that up? It, that picture to me, as I was preparing, just again, if you look at that, you can see in the back shadows, it's not so clear on this side, but there you can see Adam and Eve in the back. You can see the temple where God made room to be with his people. God holding it all together. Jesus inviting people Within it all, God has made room for you and me. He holds us all within His hands. The essence of Siobhan's message last week, you can see the temple there, is that nobody is excluded, not even the lame. Not e There's room for everyone, and that's what Jesus came to do, to make room for everyone, to issue an invitation to everyone. Thank you. You see, God's heart has always been and continues to be to make room for us. 
It's a perpetual invitation to intimacy. And I want you to understand this idea of invitation. Because that really, I think when we understand an invitation, we understand what we've been endeavoring to communicate all these past few weeks, and we will, we will see today how that invitation extends both ways. You see, when you receive an invitation, it produces in you a rightful, legitimate sense of expectancy. If you get an invitation to a wedding, for example, <coughs> what is the, the legitimate expectation? Well, first of all, if you don't get the invitation, you don't expect anything, do you? You gate crash, no. You <laughs> you, there's nothing for you. But if you do get an invitation, you have a legitimate expectancy that I'm going to go to a certain place at a certain time, I'm going to witness two lovebirds whisper sweet nothings into each other's ear and make promises, and then I expect they're going to feed me. We're going to have something nice to drink. We might have a bit of dancing, depending on the wedding. We, there's going to be a celebration. And I am wanted there. I am to be a part of it. What do you expect when you go to somebody's 21st birthday party? You had your 21st not long ago. I saw the photos. It looked amazing. That cake. You go to a 21st birthday party, you expect cake. What do you expect when you invite? I mean, we can make this really simple. If I invite you to my house for supper, what do you expect? Supper. It may not be crayfish tails. It might just be eggs on toast, but you'll get supper. Right? You see, the invitation creates an expectation. And the wonderful thing about an invitation, it is always initiated by somebody who is determined in their hearts that they want to make room for you. And they want to bring you into an experience. Isn't that incredible? Now when we think of the fact that God, from the very beginning of time, makes room for us, and He issues us an invitation into an experience, individually and personally. When I invite you to my house, that means I am going to be making preparations to be with you and to bless you. And isn't that what Jesus does? He says, come. Come to me, all you are thirsty and heavy. Come to me. I will give you rest. I have made and I've paid the price and I've made preparation to be with you and to bless you. All that is required of the recipient is to accept the invitation. Isn't it simple? Look, you go to a wedding, you're going to expect it to, be, to bring a gift. Let me just put that out there as well. <laughs> if you're invited to a birthday party, there are also expectations. But nonetheless, accepting the invitation is how you make room for somebody who has made room for you. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that simple? Isn't that a wonderful way to understand it? You see, we need to understand that we are the created beings in this whole story. There is, God is the creator. There is not a world that you or I could or can possibly create apart from what God has created that we could ever invite him into. He's created everything. But yet he's given us free will. 
And so there is this invitation that comes. And by the way we create room for God is by accepting that invitation. He has given us authority over all that, we, that He has created. And even after we gave up that authority through sin, He has won it back on our behalf, and He invites us again into that new reality. He doesn't force it on us. He invites us back into it. How many parables did Jesus tell about wedding feasts? Plenty. The widows and the, and the lamps was at a wedding feast. The parable of the wedding feast was at a wedding feast. This beautiful invitation that God issues. And this is why the life and the challenge of Jesus remains the ultimate invitation to you and I. Philippians 3 verse 12 says, Not that I have already attained, this is Paul speaking of his journey with God, not that I have already attained or have already perfected, been perfected or have already gained and, and I'm walking in the full expression of everything that Jesus Christ has made available to me, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. In other words, I've accepted the invitation to come into all the fullness of who He is and I am pursuing it and I am persevering in it and I am pushing for the full experience. There's a deep sense of expectation in this verse from Paul. Not an expectation of, for ease, by the way. If you read the whole portion, Paul here is not expecting ease. He's not expecting blessing. He's talking about the death of Christ, that I may experience the life of Christ and the death of Christ, that I may be united with Him in His resurrection. That's really the theme here. So there's a fullness of expectation for Paul. And just in case we're sitting here thinking this invitation is just for blessing, it's just for ease. No, 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 this is way more than that. This is to experience the full life of Christ in all its glory and in all its challenges. But Paul nonetheless says, I have an expectation of experiencing the power of the life and the promises of Jesus Christ for me and to me and with me and in me. And it is our sense of expectation based on the truth of who God is and what He has promised through those wonderful invitations that He gives us in Scripture of all His promises that creates an atmosphere in our lives for miracles, for Him to move, for Him to do, for Him to act in a way that only He can. I pull again from the, 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 the train of thought and the series that we've been on, this time from what Craig shared with us just a few weeks ago, and his key verse came out of 2 Peter verses one, chapter 1, verses 3 to 4. I want to read it to you from the Passion Translation. It says, Everything we could ever need for life and godliness has already been deposited in us by His divine power. You have the invitation. For all this was lavished upon us through the rich experience of knowing Him who has called us by name and invited us to come to Him through a glorious manifestation of His goodness. Wow! Isn't that incredible? As a result of this, He has given you magnificent promises that are beyond all price so that through the power of these tremendous promises we can experience partnership with the divine nature by which you have escaped the corrupt desires that are of the world. What a sense of expectation that should give us. An expectation of experience. That Jesus and our walk with Him, that our journey through the Word of God should not just be an intellectual process, not just something that fills our minds with good ideas and, and nice thoughts. 
It should go beyond just making us feel loved, although that is important. But should go into the place of creating within us an expectation that what God says in this word, he truly believes. And that the promises he makes, he makes because he plans to back them up. God desires to see me walking in healing and health and wholeness. God desires to see me live a life without lack. That my daily needs are met and his provision is at work and his grace is at work. He desire, I should be fully expectant that I can live a life free from bondage to sin, from habitual sin, free from the insidious hooks and barbs of pride that keep me focused on myself, free from habits and ways of thinking that limit what he is able to do in and through me. You know, we read this verse, and the question I have for you is, who is making room for who here? We say, God, we want to make room for you because we want to see you move. Is that good? Yes. Because in our environment, we get to welcome him in and say, God, we want you to be here. But the truth is that if you read the scripture, God has said, I've given you these things. I'm issuing you an invitation. I am making room for you to make room for me. As you believe these and as you step out on them, they will happen. I will respond. But I'm the one who's actually creating room for you. The truth is this is a two-way street. God creates room for us so that we in turn can create room for him. And that's why it's relational. You see, an invitation is always relational. And God makes it possible through Christ. This experience, God makes it possible through Christ, and we make it experiential through faith. Did you get that? God makes his promises possible through Christ, so we can come into them. But we make those promises experiential through our faith. I want to read to you a story that Jesus um, that Jesus told. Luke chapter 18. We're going to read verses 1 through verse 8. It says he spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart, saying, There was a certain, in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. In other words, he just didn't care. He would do what was good to him and right in his own eyes. Now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him saying, Get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterwards he said within himself, Though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me out. Then the Lord said, Hear what the unjust said. So look what he's putting attention on. And God, and shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you the truth, he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? You see, Jesus uses this story to contrast an unscrupulous, disingenuous judge with God, the righteous judge, in order to establish an expectation within the hearts of the people he is speaking to. 
And I want you to be encouraged by this story today for two reasons. Number one, because our God is not an unjust judge. He longs to see His justice work itself out in our lives and our situations speedily. Amen? So Jesus is contrasting here. He's not saying you need to beg God. He's saying God is not like this. God longs to see His justice at work and fulfilled in your life speedily. Though He suffers long with us. What does that mean? That means that sometimes the thing withholding his justice is not him. It's a way of thinking, or a sin, or an act, or something that we're, behave, that we're involved in or cannot get over. And he is working, and he's patient, and he's long-suffering with us. But his desire is to see his justice and his authority worked out in our situation speedily. So we ought to be encouraged by that. When we come and we bring our situations to God, he is not tarrying to answer. His desire is to bring swift resolution in that situation. But the second reason I want you to be encouraged is this, because we have and are, been and are on a journey endeavoring to make room for God. And for me, this series has been about speaking into the areas of our expectations and experiences in God's presence. It means that our desire and our expectation are being challenged in some ways hopefully being kindled and awakened within us to enjoy God's presence and also to see His kingdom interventions come to bear in and through our lives. And so there is already this desire and this expectation. How? Through prayer and intercession. Through coming together and to worship Him and waiting upon Him and looking to Him. Through sharing our testimonies and the sto- our stories of God's goodness with, with our friends, with our loved ones, with our work colleagues. We spoke about that too in this series. That's one of the ways we make room for God. So we, we're, there's already an endeavoring in our heart to experience more of the fullness of, of God and the things that He promises. I believe that God is working in our hearts through all of this. I know that you've been touched, you've been blessed, you've been ministered to. I certainly have, and what it's done is it's served to make my sense of expectation rise and continue to grow. I shared with you a little while ago on a, one of our Monday night prayer meetings that I saw an image and a picture that as we were praying, there was, <clears throat> if you can imagine a pressure cooker, as the heat was being turned up in prayer, the pressure within the pressure cooker was building up. And it wasn't exactly a pressure cooker, but I saw that there were <coughs> excuse me, whether it be mindsets, whether it be spiritual forces that have, that have limited or, or, or tried to contain what God wants to do in and through this family, through the prayer that is going up and through the intercession that is going up, the pressure is beginning to build and therefore those things are having to give way because they cannot sustain, they cannot withhold that pressure and there will come a point when it breaks and I'm believing for that and I ask you to pray into that as well. But there is an expectation that is growing and that is a good thing. Our expectation of God should be going from glory to glory as our knowledge of Him grows. And God is creating an eager anticipation within our hearts for good, for His Word to come to bear, for His kingdom to manifest itself in our midst. This is the definition of hope. God is filling our hearts with hope, 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 the definition of hope, is an eager anticipation for good. It's an expectation that good things will happen. You don't hope for bad things. You fear bad things will happen. 
but you sincerely hope for good things. And God's word gives us a rich and a vibrant and a wonderful hope. Yet Jesus' question at the end of that parable and that story that he told is the question that I am and that we are confronted with today. He shares this parable of those who come to God and he desires to, 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 to move speedily and bring justice speedily into their situation. But he ends the whole story with this question saying, will he find faith on the earth? Despite everything that God wants to do, despite the invitation that has been given to every single one of us, will he find those who accept the invitation? Who are willing to believe that the invitation is for them and are willing to turn up at the feast, at the party, and enjoy everything that's been prepared for them. Will we accept and act upon the invitations that he gives us and in so doing, make room for him? It is right that we look to God with expectation, but I believe that God would highlight to us this morning that while we are looking to him with eager anticipation, he too is looking to us with an expectation. And what is he looking for? He is looking for faith, for those who will truly believe, those who will truly accept. You see, hope is good and it is necessary. It anchors our soul in God's goodness. The fact that we know that we are the children of God gives us a rich hope for a bright tomorrow. But faith is catalytic. Faith is what takes that hope and makes it into an experiential reality. This is how the Bible defines it, Hebrews 11 verse 1. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. Faith is the acceptance of the invitation that puts me in the center of the experience. I act upon it. Uh, the Amplified Bible puts it this way. Faith is the assurance, the title deed, the confirmation of things hoped for or divinely guaranteed. That's amazing. And it's the evidence of things not seen. It's the conviction of their reality. Faith comprehends as fact what cannot be experienced by the physical senses. God's invitation to you and I calls us to go beyond hope, which is just an eager expectation. Hopefully something will, will be good. Hopefully this will turn out okay. Hopefully if I just follow God and I say my prayers, good things will happen. And God calls us into faith, which is the conviction that ushers that expectation into reality. But God cannot faith for us. Amen? God can issue the invitation. Imagine you got an invitation and you said, sure, I hope, that's, uh, I, hope I could go to that. What's the first thing you do? You check your diary, and if it's you know, important enough, you shift your diary, you make plans. You make plans to be there. Why? Because you've been invited. You don't just hope. Oh, I hope I can be there. I hope I can get there. You make plans. You get your transport. Through God's word and through his abiding presence, he has made such wonderful room for us so that we 
can, in receiving his invitation and acting upon it, make room for him. It's just beautiful. It's so simple. I think sometimes we overcomplicate things. All that is required for, for us to experience the power of the Spirit of God and of the Word of God in our lives is not to have to go and do any mighty thing. It's simply to believe it, to receive it, and to act upon it. I invite you to go and lay hands on the sick, and you will see them recover. I invite you to go and share the good news with people, and, they, and those who believe will be saved. I invite you to go and tell them that their sins are forgiven. You mean I have a right to go and forgive sins? That's what Jesus did. I invite you to go and speak this word to somebody. I invite you to do it. And when you do, I will, I will show up. I will do something in their hearts. I invite you to forgive that person and to release them to me. I invite you to experience the power of my Holy Spirit working in you and working through you. Would you accept? Maybe your situation is difficult right now. Maybe it's hard. Maybe it's tough. I don't know all the things that all of you are struggling with. But I doubt there's anybody sitting in the chairs here this morning that would say, as a believer, that your situation is hopeless. It's tough. Maybe you can't see the end, but you're not without hope. We have a hope. But I want to say to you this morning, God is saying to you, the hope is good. But if, you, if that's all you've got, think nothing's going to change. Because hope doesn't change things. Faith does. Are you willing to turn that hope into faith by adding action to it and acting as if it were true? I mean, this is what Mark 11, is, uh, 22 and 23 is about, where Jesus is teaching his disciples how to walk in faith. Jesus answered and said to them, Have faith in God. For assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things that he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. In other words, he calls us to action. Now it's good that we understand, what is Jesus meaning here? Is he meaning physical mountains? It's an idiom, folks. Mountains in those days, just as they are in us today, in, in, in colloquial language, represents a problem. It represents a trial. It represents resistance. It represents a struggle. It represents something in the way, something that is an issue in your life. And very often, our, the things we're struggling with seem insurmountable. How am I going to get over this? We're not talking about molehill problems here. We're talking about mountain problems here. We're talking about Goliath. We're talking about, I don't know where this provision is coming from because I don't have the means to, to meet these needs. And I don't have the wherewithal to get the provision to meet these needs. I don't know where the healing is going to come from. I don't have the power to heal. I don't know where deliverance is going to come from. I don't have the power or the authority to deliver. I... I this thing is a mountain. But what I do know is what God says about it. I do know that God invites me into an experience that is different from this. That I do know. And Jesus is inviting me to go beyond just a hope that this will work out well. 
to actually putting his word into my mouth, beginning to speak it over the situation, beginning to believe that he actually means what he says and therefore begin commanding my situation in the authority of Jesus' name and by the authority of his own words that something's got to change in this situation. So I therefore accept the invitation that his, the, the, the picture, the expectation that, that God has created for me through his word and I begin to speak. Whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, shall have whatever he says. And so instead of now just hoping that things are going to get better, I am on my knees before God saying, whatever it may be, let me not try and pigeonhole this, that his grace is sufficient that he will provide all my needs, that by his stripes I was healed, that every temptation has a way of escape and he will show it to me, that if I humble myself before the Lord and resist the devil, he will flee from me, that I am more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus, that I am an overcomer in this situation. Therefore, devil, you need to bow. Situation, you need to change. And I begin taking a hope and I begin putting it to action. I begin accepting that invitation into a higher life, into a new dimension of faith, into a new dimension of experiencing the power of God at work in my situation. For the sake of time, I won't read the full scriptures, but if you're taking notes, I'm going to be referring to Mark chapter 5, the story of Jairus and his daughter, and the woman with the issue of blood. There's a man called Jairus, he's a ruler in the synagogue, he comes to Jesus, he says, my daughter is dying, and as they're on their way, to, Jesus says, I'm coming. So he invites Jesus, he makes room for God. And as Jesus is on his way, something happens, and he stops. And he said, somebody's touched me. And his disciples are rolling their eyes, going, um, Jesus, everybody's touching you. You're being thronged by the crowds. What do you mean someone's touching you? And Jesus said, I perceive that power for healing has gone out from me. Here's a really interesting part. Jesus didn't know who'd done it. I don't know about you, but I find that really interesting. And eventually, a lady who had been struggling, which what was called an issue of blood, she was, was bleeding continually for many years. The Bible says that she'd been to many physicians, and instead of making her better, she'd actually gotten worse. But she said, if I but touch the hem of his garment. So what she did is she got out of her home as a ceremonially unclean person who was not welcome in public and went out of her home, and she said, I am going to accept this invitation. And in doing so, I'm going to reach out and grab the, head of, grab the hem, of, hem of his garment, and in so doing, I'm going to invite his power into my situation. And what happened? Jesus experienced that power had left him. He looked at this woman. The Bible says immediately as she touched the hem of his robe, her issue stopped. She stopped bleeding. She was healed. 
Now, do you not think there were other sick people, other people with issues, other people who needed to be delivered that were perhaps thronging around Jesus in that moment, hoping for something to happen, and yet nothing did? I believe Jesus went places where there were plenty of people hoping for something to happen, but because they never took that step of faith, nothing did. The Bible says in Jesus' own hometown of Nazareth, no expectation meant nobody did anything. And therefore, very, very few miracles were done there. And so we see this woman, and Jesus' response to her was, does anybody, anybody know what he said to her? Sorry? No one's bold enough to shout it out loud. He said to her, your faith has made you well. What made her well? Was it the word of Jesus? Was it the preaching? Was it the hope that maybe something would happen? It was within her the sincere, complete conviction that if I touch that man, that Messiah's robe, I will be healed. It is the fact that she didn't wait for him to come to her, but she went to him despite all opposition, despite all pressure, despite all public, you know, pressure at the time. She went beyond all of that and she took hold of it. And in the midst of this, incredible miracle and this faith and this wonderful thing happening, somebody comes to Jairus and says, don't bother him anymore. Your daughter is dead. And suddenly, a situation that had hope in it, that had active faith in it, in an instant becomes hopeless. Except, of course, for the fact that Jesus turns to him and says, do not fear, only believe. And we know what happens. Jesus goes to Jairus' house. There's a whole bunch of people there. They're wailing, they're crying. They said, you're too late, she's dead. To which he responds, she's not dead. She's just asleep. The Bible says they laughed at him. Now, can you imagine an environment filled with such pain, such agony, such wailing, such crying, such tears, and now being filled with laughter? This isn't the laughter of joy. This is a laughter of ridicule. This is a laughter of saying, you're crazy. And that's sometimes, folks, what it's going to look like when you're confronted with situations that other people perceive to be hopeless, but yet because of an invitation you have accepted, you have faith in the midst of it. And Jesus, putting everybody else out of the room except for the girl's parents, and I think it's Peter and John, I'm not sure if James was there, I'm not reading from the scriptures now, but he goes in just with them, and he says to this little girl, Talita kum, which means little girl, arise, awake up. And there she was, she woke up, and Jesus, being a man after my own heart, said to the family, give her something to eat. Why am I sharing that story with you? I, also, I mean, I, I can also share just very briefly, you know the well the story of the men who had a friend who was paralyzed. They heard Jesus came back into the region. They picked up their friend. They went there, but there were so, so many people around the house and in the place where Jesus was that they climbed up onto the roof and they lowered him down in front of Jesus. The end result is Jesus forgave his sins. The Pharisees said, who is this who can forgive sins? And Jesus says, well, just so you know that I'm the one who can forgive sins, what's easier, forgiving sins or saying you can be healed? So get up and walk. And the guy got up, took his mat, and walked out 
And we see there a demonstration of tremendous faith. What, to you and me, let's be honest, these things confront me and they challenge me because I believe in a God who heals and yet I'm confronted with situations in which I feel utterly powerless. How do I pray for this situation? What do I believe for in this situation? The woman with the issue of blood didn't just remain in hope that something would happen, but she got out of her house and she went and she believed. She acted on a, the, the full confidence that touching Jesus would do something. Jairus went out of his house to go and seek from this master that he would come and heal his daughter. And in the end, the master raised his daughter from the dead. These four men didn't hope that Jesus would pass by their house. They got up, they picked up their friend, they broke through the roof. I would be miffed if that was my house. But somehow the woman didn't care what the people may say, and those four men didn't care what the landowner was going to say. They were not going to let anything get in the way of their expected, desired outcome. That is what faith does. And while we are looking to God for, to do something, saying, God, we're making room for you. We hope you're going to come in. We hope you're going to fill us up. We hope and we ask you come. While we're trying to create room for God to do something, God is saying, I'd love to do something. But in order for that to happen, I'm looking for something. What is it you are truly believing me for? Not some hope, but what part of my word are you standing on now? What are you taking authority over through that word now? What words are you speaking? What are you creating through the words of your mouth now? I want to say to you today, what has God said about the mountain you are facing? What has he said? Do you know what he has said? Because once you know what God says about that situation, I have one more question for you. Are you going to accept the invitation? Simple. Are you going to accept the invitation? Let's bow our heads for a moment. Father God, as we, as we are reminded of the greatness of who you are, as we are blown away and in awe of the fact that the very creation speaks of the fact that your heart's desire has always been and continues to be to make room for us. That you desire to have an experience with us so that we may have an incredible experience with you. The experience of your goodness, of your faithfulness, of your mercy and of your kindness. The experience of your provision and of your healing of your wisdom, and of your grace. Father, this morning, if we've been caught up in hope, in areas in our lives where perhaps we're seeing things that we're not happy with, we recognize that we're caught up in habitual sin or in habits that are bad, that are not good. We're caught up in attitudes towards you or towards others that do not please you. We're caught up in experiences that fall so far short of the invitation that you have given us in your word, 
and through your promises. Father, where we have been in these situations for a long time, hoping that something will change, I pray that in this moment something would happen in our hearts, that a shift would take place, that a grace-inspired, a Holy Spirit-inspired heart's decision would happen in this moment. That we would leave this place today no longer satisfied with apathetic hope, but engaged in the realization of walking in faith, of believing as truth your words concerning our situation, having the boldness within us to say, God, I trust your word above my circumstances. I trust what you say above what I can sense with my natural senses. I trust your wisdom above all the wisdom of this world and above all the wisdom that others may throw at me. God, would you put within us today such a desire to accept your invitation of the higher life that we would come to the party, that we would, in so doing, invite you into our situation by simply speaking your words, by believing them with all our heart, by acting upon them, in so doing, create room for you in our situation. That through the testimony of your goodness, through the evidence of answered prayer, through the power of miraculous intervention, we may give you all the glory and all the praise. And so, Father, I want to thank you for this series. I want to thank you for for Pastor Frank and for Stephen and for Siobhan and for Craig, all of those who have, have, have journeyed this with us and have shifted us along week by week. I want to thank you for what they've imparted into our hearts and into our lives and into our minds. And I want to pray that these truths would find, would find expression, would find activation in our hearts, Lord God. And so tonight, today we look to you we thank you, Jesus, for the eager anticipation and expectation that you give us through your word. And we leave here today accepting that invitation. We will press in for all that you have made available. We desire to lay hold of all that for which you have laid hold of us. And we thank you for that today in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. We hope that you've enjoyed this message. For additional resources and more information, come and visit us at alphaomega.org.za.